0: You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. So, tonight we continue our series, our Christian Point of View series, by uh, talking about dating. So, you guys have some. Some deal breakers, but uh, we need to figure out what we're going to do with dating and what is a good way to approach it. Because there's a world of dating advice out there. If you were to just look out there in the world, you could find whatever advice you wanted to find. You know, you could you could search high and low and find a million different bits of advice about how you should date or what you should do and, and all that stuff. But the thing is, a lot of the advice in our world around us is self-centered. It's very about you, you know. Do whatever makes you happy, you know. Fulfill your own desires, you know. Make it about yourself. And the way that we typically go about dating isn't really setting us up very well for a lifelong commitment like marriage. Okay, what well, what it's more like is is uh, practicing for divorce. Uh, the way that we date, you know, we may initially commit to somebody, but then before long, we're really tempted to jump ship. As soon as the relationship starts to go in a direction we don't like, or as soon as something difficult comes up, as soon as our felt needs and desires are not met, or if somebody better comes along. And we never really, uh, you know, it, not really committing, we're just kind of committing uh, as long as you're useful to me. Uh, and it's, it's like we have an accessory to our lives uh, for a little bit. Or we may never really commit to anyone uh, and never even try dating because we have a fear of missing out. Like, what if there's somebody better out there? What if I get into this relationship and, you know, it's just kind of going along and I find somebody better. What, what am I going to do then? And maybe we're just not ever even trying that because, you know, we don't know oh, what if I meet somebody. What if I meet Mr. Right or the one in a few weeks and I don't want to start dating this person. I don't want to get too serious with this. Or maybe it's that our standards are basically perfection. And so we rule out everybody. And so either way, our natural, worldly approach to dating tends to be self-directed and self-motivated and often superficial. And we grow accustomed to analyzing everything through the lens of what's best for us. And oftentimes, that doesn't work out. Somehow, as we try to find somebody to marry, we might accidentally prepare ourselves to be really bad at it. And maybe even prepare ourselves or set the stage for ending our future marriage before we even get into it because of the habits that we've created and the way that we've approached dating in the first place. And so we need a better way of thinking about dating. The problem for us as Christians is, uh, you know, trying to have this Christian point of view on dating is that there's nothing in the Bible specifically about dating. So you're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Is there, is there nothing there for me? You know, we see in the Bible that there's two statuses. There is single and married. And we were, you know, we hear some stuff about both of those things, more about married than than about being single. Uh, you know, we see there are some arranged marriages. there's some betrothals. There's also a couple cases where there's this attraction between two people that aren't married, and so you could look at those and be like, are those dating, like Samson and Delilah or Jacob and Rachel? And you're like, okay, well, you know, is there anything that we can get out of those stories? But the point is, those, those are not, prescriptive stories to tell us how to approach dating. They're just stories of things that happened. And we do learn lessons from those things, but not necessarily about dating. So we don't see a whole lot in the Bible about that. But there is advice. There is advice. There's wisdom in the Bible. So what do we do? We approach this thing from a Christian point of view by looking for wisdom in biblical principles that help us with our decision-making, that help us with the process of dating. And there's plenty of wisdom in the Bible that can be applied. You know, for one, you know, we know things about marriage. And if dating, I think we'd all admit, like, dating is a way to try to find somebody to marry. You know, it, it, that's kind of the end goal for a lot of us. You get into a dating relationship where you look for one because you want to get married at some point in the future. You know, and we've got to think about God's design for marriage, if that's going to be the case. I'm looking for marriage eventually. That's why I'm heading into a dating relationship. Um, Especially at this stage in your life because you are actually at an age where you could get married. You know people who are married who are about your age. You know people uh, who are married, um, you know, just beyond you. And so you're in that stage. So you got to be thinking in these terms of like, okay, God does tell us some things about marriage. What does he tell us? What's the goal of marriage? What is a husband and a wife supposed to be in marriage? And if you were in chapel today at Union, you already heard some of this. You know, you heard some of, the, some of these things about what the goal of marriage is and, and what a husband and wife is supposed to be. And we need to let that fact that we're dating with godly marriages in mind. By the way, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about marriage in here. We're literally going to talk about this stage where you're at right now. But thinking those terms, if I'm, if I'm looking toward marriage and I want a godly marriage, how do I get there? What kind of dating is going to have to take place? So dating with marriage in mind is going to have to change the way we view the process of dating so dating if you're looking toward marriage you got to think dating is a process of evaluating one another and even ourselves to see if we might enter into marriage with this other person so dating can't be anything other than this if we're looking and saying i want a godly marriage in the future you know and you're saying well i want to i want to date somebody i've got some interest in somebody if you if you know that dating is going to lead toward marriage, and that's where you want to get to, then you shouldn't date unless you see it as the process of evaluating one another about whether or not you would be able to commit to one another lifelong. And so it's that process of evaluation. So you're not dating just to date or to have fun or to have somebody to hang out with. You're dating with something else in mind. You know, we, sh- we should be looking for somebody to date that we might actually want to marry and go through the process of dating them to figure out if we could commit to one another for life. So if you know right away that that person you're interested in, for whatever reason, is not somebody that you'd like to marry, or they're not even headed in the direction of somebody you, you might like to marry, then why would you date them? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I think, too, is another point, kind of beside the point, but if you're not of a place maturity-wise, spiritual maturity-wise, to say, you know what, I could go through a process of evaluation, with somebody else, and, and I could actually see us ending a marriage, if you're not mature enough to, to see that as the process and to see that as the, the end goal, then maybe you shouldn't date at all. Maybe you should wait until you believe that you are actually spiritually mature enough to see dating that way, not as just a way to have somebody to hang out with or have fun or whatever. So as we do this, as we look to this as a process, at a very basic level, we need to know who we are in Christ, And see who we're called to be. So we got to know who we're called to be, and who this potential person is called to be—the person that we want today, the person that we are dating. Who are they called to be in Christ? Because that is going to be extremely important uh, if we're moving toward a godly marriage. And we spent the first week of our series on Christian point of view of things about self. We talked about identity and finding who we are in Christ. And tonight we're going to look more specifically at who we're called to be. So we looked at who we are that ultimately our identity is found in Christ. Tonight we're gonna look at who we are called to be as Christians, and generally speaking, we just got to know who we are and what we're about and how we operate as Christians, and then we can apply some of those basic principles to dating, does that make sense? So we need to know who we are, what we're we're to be about, how we ought to live, and then apply those things to dating. To do that, we're gonna go to one of the most basic texts uh, of our understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower, okay? Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, we're going to go to a little place where Jesus answered a question. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Here's how this is going to work. You're like, wait, how is that has nothing to do with dating. You, you'll see, okay? Here's how it's going to work. We're going to consider these two commands, love God, love your neighbor, and underneath each one of those is going to be some subpoints. okay? So it's going to be that simple, like love God with four subpoints. Love your neighbor with four sub points. And they're going to be specifically related uh, or have something to do with how we approach dating. So, to start, we're going to look at love God. And okay, the first point is to say that we want to love God. God must be our first love. God must be our first love. You know, if you heard first love in a song, you might assume it meant the first person that you were in love with. Like that beaver song. Um, I don't even know which Bieber song I'm talking about. You know, that one is like, when I was 13, I had my first love. You know what I'm talking about? So you might be thinking like, oh, the first person that you loved. Like, no, I'm not talking about your middle school relationship, that you were certain that you loved this person. No, you know, you might, might go back to that. But you could also think of it as like the thing that you love most. My first love. What is the thing that I love the most? And there's a passage in Scripture that I want us to go to and see this kind of idea in here. Kind of a mix of the two ideas, really, of of the thing that you loved at first, but also the thing that you love most. Revelation chapter 2, 2 through 4, says this, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have uh, tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. This is part of a letter written to a church from the voice of Jesus through a guy named John recorded in the book of Revelation. In this case, I think Jesus could mean both of those things about first love. The thing that you loved at first and the thing that you are meant to love the most. And he's trying to say to him, like, you've been doing well, you've been obedient, you've been trying to do all the right things, but man, you're you're doing it without the right motivation. You've forgotten the motivation. You know, and he's saying, like, You need to approach everything that you do with this motivation of the love that you had at first. And that is the love for me. Jesus is saying, You've forgotten that you love me, and that's why you do these things. So come back to this love that you had at first. And if you want to approach anything in life as a faithful follower of Jesus, your ability to continue in it is going to come down to who is your first love. So if you want to approach dating, if you want to to date in a Christian way, you want to have have a godly marriage someday. You're going to have to approach all things with Jesus as your first love. You know, in this case in Revelation, again, these people are doing a lot of the right things. they would lost that motivation. And I think that you, too, can handle yourself in dating the right way for a while without the right motivation. For a little while, you can do things the right way. You can try to honor God with it. You can make the right kind of decisions. You can honor this other person. But eventually, if the motivation of your first love begins to wane, or you lose your focus on loving Jesus first, then eventually that relationship is going to head in a direction that is not godly, that is not Christian. So I'm trying to say, like, if you want to have a right attitude and right action in relationship, it can only survive so long without the fuel of the right motivation. And the right motivation being that we are to love God first, with our whole selves, heart, soul, mind. The entirety of ourselves are meant to be, about loving God first. And there are going to be times when doing that is, is, doing what is right and what's good in a relationship is going to be difficult. You know, keeping boundaries physically, having hard conversations, being honest and open in communication with each other, forgiving wrongs done. You know, there's going to be a lot of hard times. And if you don't have a sincere love of God in you to drive you to do what is right and to obey and to love your neighbor well, you're going to struggle. And here's the second point. We should only date others who share our first love. God has to be our first love as Christians. And we should only date other people who share that first love. You may have heard uh, the verse 2 Corinthians 6.14. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship is light with darkness? It says this point of like, I shouldn't try to walk through life with somebody who is going in a different direction than me. Or is worshiping something other than the God that I worship. And somebody can say, oh, I'm a Christian. You know, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, I, I got saved when I was, you know, 12 and got baptized. And, but, man, if you don't see any fruit in their life, if they're headed a different direction than you, and you're really trying to pursue Jesus, it's going to be hard to walk that road of following Jesus. And this is, a, honestly, a repeated theme throughout the Old Testament. God kept telling his people, do not intermarry with these other people groups. And it wasn't about ethnicity so much as it was about worship. He said, if you go marry with these other people, these other people around you, if you go marry with them, you're going to end up worshiping their gods. And he said, you may do fine for a, while, for a little while. You may think, oh, well, I'll bring them in with me, you know, missionary dating or whatever. Like, I'll get them to love my God. But eventually, you're going to pull each other in different directions. And he's saying, like, to these people in the Old Testament, he's saying to us, if you, if you intermarry or you try to date and have a relationship that's moving toward marriage with somebody who does not love God the way that you love God, then you're going to struggle. He's saying, I don't want you to get caught up in that. I don't want you to to lose your way in worshiping me, in loving me. And And this is what we've been told in the New Testament. Don't be unequally yoked because you're headed in different directions. You know, if you're trying to walk with Jesus and the person you want to date or the person you're currently dating is not, you can't join yourself to that person because it will literally be like you are going in different directions and pulling each other apart, and you'll eventually both compromise. They'll end up not being happy because they got to do church things or Jesus things with you, and you won't be happy because they don't really love Jesus the way that you love them. And eventually you'll end up compromising, and both of you will be disappointed. And if your highest motivation is love for God, I promise you that if you try to live that, you know, if you try to live that way and date somebody who's not headed in that direction with you, it's only going to lead to disappointment. And that's why it makes sense to find somebody who shares the same first love as you, that love being for God. Okay, a third thing under this love God, and understand that no one and nothing but God can be the source of our identity, value, and purpose. <clears throat> no, one but, no one and nothing but God can be the source of our identity, value, and purpose. You know, a few weeks ago, like I said, we talked about self. We said, from a Christian point of view, our life and identity and self is found ultimately in our union with Jesus. That's where it's all rooted for us. And we read in Colossians 3 three and four, where it says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now that you are, as a Christian, united with Jesus, he is your life. He is the source of real life in you. And if you try to do anything away and apart from him, it doesn't have the same fullness, it doesn't have the same energy, it doesn't have the same vitality. He is your life. He is the one that is your core identity now, this in Christness. That is yours. And he fills your life with value and purpose and meaning. It's his love that sustains you. It's his spirit that guides you. It's his spirit that fills you up and transforms you and brings you joy and grace and peace. And this kind of relationship where you're connected to Jesus so closely. He is, his life is your life. And his love becomes your motivation. And his glory that that we will share with him for all of eternity, that becomes our greatest purpose. So when I'm in Christ, his life is my life. His glory is what I'm after. That's my purpose and my value. Uh, and and my, his love for me is my motivation. This has always been God's intention for his people, that we would be his first, that we would find ourselves in him, that we would know that he is our life. It's not just a New Testament thing. Look at the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. Jesus, or you know, God is talking about his people, Israel. Okay, but we are his people now. And so when he says these things about his people, and he's talking about a future people as well, that is us. So when he says these things in Isaiah 43, he's talking about the kind of relationship that we have with him. He says, But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, o Israel. Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall, you shall not be burned. The flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush ransom, and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east. From the west I will gather you. I'll say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who is created for my glory, whom I formed and made. He's saying these things about us. This is, this is the way that God feels about us kind of relationship that we have with him, that we are precious to him, and that he loves us. We, are, we were made for him and made for his glory, that he would do anything to bring us to himself. And so this, this has always been his intention for us as his people, to know that we are the ones who are precious in his eyes, called by his name, the ones he formed, made intentionally, purposefully for his glory, and really for our good in relationship with him. You don't need anyone else to be these things for you. You don't need anyone else to be your life. You don't need anyone else to be your your motivation. You don't need anybody else to give you your value or your worth or a reason to keep going. You don't need anyone else to give you direction. That role is already fulfilled in Christ. If the reason that you're seeking a dating relationship is to feel loved or valuable or sought after, take a step back and realize that you already are. And if the reason you want to date somebody is to feel like life is heading in that direction, maybe that this relationship could move forward into your future and your marriage and all this stuff. If you crave that sense of purpose or direction, pause for a second and realize that your life is already meaningful, already purposeful, and full of direction in Christ. No one can complete you, Christian. You are already whole in Christ. You don't need that from somebody else. And it's only from that place of knowing who you are in Christ that you're truly free to walk alongside somebody else and not put a burden on them or feel the burden on yourself to be more than you can be for one another. Because you cannot complete anyone else either. They can't complete you. They can't, they can't be everything that you need. You can't be everything that they need. But if you are both in Christ and know where your value and your purpose and your worth comes from, then you're free to walk alongside one another, actually loving each other selflessly. But it's got to come from that place of knowing that nothing else can satisfy you like he can. And then a fourth thing we got to say in everything we ask, does this honor God? Does this honor God? You know, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about our bodies, we read the verse, 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Yeah, that verse is specifically written about decisions about what a person would eat or drink because it's kind of in a passage where he's talking about that food offered to idols and things like that. But this is a bedrock principle that Paul finishes a chapters-long monologue with. He spends all this time talking about whether or not they should eat or drink, and then he finishes with this verse, do all to the glory of God. He says, look, at the end of the day, your decision about what you should do in this or any situation is this, everything you do should be for the glory of God. And if you cannot do what you're going to do for the glory of God, then you should not do it. So you gotta, you gotta say, like, when I'm facing this decision on what to do or not to do, or what to pursue or not to pursue, if, that, if I should go after this relationship, if I should be dating this person, if I should pursue marriage with this person, and I can't do that in a way that honors God, then I shouldn't do it. So ask yourself, like, will this bring honor and glory to God? Can it possibly? Will it probably? Is there any way that I could step into this or participate in this relationship and actually glorify God in it? If not, or if not right now, then don't. Because God is your first love, and and you're called to love him with your whole self. Man, he's loved us in such a way that makes this possible. He's loved us in such a way that does drive us to want to love him in return. Can we pause for a second and consider his love, remind ourselves of something? First John 4, 9 and 10 says this. In this is the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ coming into the world to save us from our sins, that is love. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he says, whoever will call upon my name can be saved. You can be forgiven of your sins, you can be made right with God, be reconciled to the creator God who made you, all because God himself came, lived a sinless life, and died a sacrificial death for us, and then rose from the grave, and now he's alive to offer us this opportunity to know him. That is why we, you know, this, this kind of love that we've experienced with him is why we love him in return. That's our motivation, that is everything to us. If it's not everything to you, you, you probably need to consider, do I know God? Do I know God? Do, do I love him in this way? Do, have I recognized his love for me? And if not, man, we can, we can talk about that. We can, we can seek God. We, and, and when he says, he like, you seek me, you'll find me. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and you'll receive. We have the opportunity to know God right now. And, and the thing is, like, if you do know him already, you are so precious in his eyes. He loves you so much. And Because he's loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. That's what the next verse says. First John 4.11 says, Beloved, we'll if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So here we are. Love neighbor. We've loved God, and now love neighbor. And the first kind of subpoint under love neighbor, in every relationship, we ask, does this relationship and my actions and attitude in it honor this person? So not only do we want to honor God, but we're called to honor one another. That's part of what it means to love our neighbor. You know, we just said that we want to do whatever we're going to do in a way that honors God. Well, a big part of that is. Particularly believers honoring one another. So Romans one of my favorite verses. says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You know, earlier I brought up the fact that dating in our world today is riddled with self-centered thinking. It's really all about us and whatever is good for us. And as soon as it's not good for us, we're out of it, you know? To a degree, we have to consider what would be good for us, sure. If someone is awful to you, or awful for you, yeah, get out of that relationship. Because they do not love Jesus the way that you love Jesus. If someone doesn't love Jesus and it's causing you to compromise in that relationship, make decisions you shouldn't, decisions that don't honor the Lord, it's causing you to act in ways or, or lash out against friends or family. Like, if, if that's the kind of thing that's going on, yeah, sure, do what's best for you and get out of that. But ultimately, when you're looking at, if I am dating somebody that I know shares my first love, And they love God the way that I love God. You're dating another believer. Your concern should not only be what's in your best interest. Look at uh, Philippians 2, 3 and 4. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I'm not saying that you have to become a complete servant to the other person's every need. You know, there is a real thing, uh, you know, manipulation is a real thing, and it's far too common in relationships. So, If you're being manipulated by another person, they probably don't love Jesus the way that you do. You probably shouldn't be in that relationship. But in a relationship where two believers are both pursuing the Lord, then they, they ought not take advantage of one another. And when two people are looking out for each other, seeking to honor one another, what you could end up is with two people, neither of which are very needy, and both ready to sacrifice selfish desire for the good of each other. That's what you could have in a dating relationship with two people who know their first love. If the person you're dating or you're trying to date is not a fellow believer, you need to understand that the greatest thing you can do to honor them is to put that relationship on hold and do everything in your ability to point them to Jesus. That's how you would honor a non-believing person that you're trying to date. Put everything in hold. That relationship does not matter as much as their relationship with the Lord. You shouldn't continue dating them. Rather, if you want to love them well, give them Jesus, not yourself. We all need that reminder that the greatest good for any one of us is to know Christ and to have his life embodied in us. And that's kind of this next point, desire their greatest good. Desire their greatest good. If you're going to date somebody, you want to desire their greatest good. And here is their greatest good, described in Romans 8, 28 through 30. It says, we know that for those who love God all things are work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, those whom he justified, he also glorified. We often read this verse and we're like, okay, God's gonna work out all things together for good, for me. Do you understand what the good is? The good is listed in the verse. If you go down a little further, the best thing for you is to be conformed into the image of his son. That is the good that he is working toward. So if you're like, hey God, you're not working everything out together for my good because these bad things are happening. Maybe he's using the bad things to conform you into the image of his son, to make you more and more like Jesus, to see Jesus' life lived out and displayed in you. Maybe that is what he's after. And he is working the good even when you don't see it. So every one of our greatest good as a Christian is to grow in likeness. And that should change the way we approach one another if we really want to love each other as our neighbor. And we should want our interactions with these other people to be less about what we get out of it, instead about pointing them to Christ and hoping that they live in the identity that they have in Christ. That should be the goal of two Christian believers walking in a relationship together, trying to evaluate, should I marry this person? Or even if you're thinking about, should I even date this person? You've got to be looking and saying, look, I want to make sure that the way that we date, the way that we handle this relationship, is that you live out your identity in Christ, that his life is evident in you, rather than me trying to ser- serve my own purposes or just trying to serve collectively our two purposes together until those don't mesh anymore. You know, you want to help them to glorify God in their lives and enjoy living in their identity and purpose. And often in dating relationships, one of the major issues that comes up is physical boundaries, sexual sin in dating relationships. it's It's like a standard issue thing that people want to talk about. I, I, we have this thing, you know, our relationship's going great, but we there's this one thing that we're struggling with. Like you automatically know what one thing they're struggling with, and it's sad that, that that's the case. And and we say we love people, we say we love this other person, and we feel so strongly about them that we want to express our care physically. Oh, I care about them so much that I can't hardly help myself because I care about them so much. But we know from scripture that the only place where sexual acts have a right to be is in marriage. And so we say we love each other, and you know, we recognize, oh, the greatest good is for them to walk in Christ and to know their identity in Christ, and yet we blame our love or, or such deep care for, for each other for you know, our, our sin. And I say, like, if you're dating somebody and you're struggling with these things, love that person enough not to drag them into sin. To know what is sin and, and be able to set physical boundaries for yourselves to help each other live in obedience. Because your first love is not each other, it's God, and He's called you to live uh, in a way that He's designed for you to live. And yes, someday, when you are married in that committed relationship, you can enjoy those things, and God has made them for good. It's not that they're bad things in and of themselves, it's that you want to walk in obedience right now, so that you set good habits of walking in obedience together, so that ultimately, if you do get married, that you don't have anything to feel shame about. And that you've already set a precedent of walking in Christ together and obedience together, seeking each other's greatest good. And on the subject of that, you know, that whole like idea of physicality and dating relationships between believers, here's an interesting one. Third point: see every believer as your brother or sister in Christ. See every believer as your brother or sister in Christ. First Timothy five, one and two. Paul talking to Timothy, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you Would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. As believers, every other believer is your brother or sister in Christ. Now, what would you do with your brother and sister? Physically speaking, we don't do physical signs of affection with our siblings. Right? That's just, it would be strange. It would be weird, right? And I know dating is different. Okay, I get it. Look, you're like, okay, well, this, that's, that's my, not really my brother and my sister. Are like, okay, that's, you know, it's different, right? Sure, yeah. But is it that much different? I mean, yes, they're not our biological siblings. But man, we need to rethink the way we're viewing other believers. We need to rethink the way we're viewing these people that we want to date. They're not just some person that we can, you know, like hang out with and enjoy or whatever. And like, uh, you know, they meet or satisfy our desires and. Um, you know, we have this relationship and it's fun and everybody, like, we're a unit and all this stuff. Like, it's not just you dating another person. You're, you're dating a sister in Christ or you're dating a brother in Christ. They're in the family and God loves them the same way that he loves you. And you gotta, you gotta consider these things. And along with that, we need to, as a fourth thing, see every person, see every person with God-like eyes. If you're not dating somebody right now, you look around and you're like, I don't know, there's some people I would date. I would date them if they gave me a chance. You know, like, you look around and you're like looking at people as someone you could date. We need to see every single person, whether they're believer or not, with God like eyes. And here's what he says in a few places in Scripture 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. Talking about Saul. We're talking about um, David's older brother. For the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And Proverbs 31:30 30 says, "Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised." Second Corinthians 5:16 says, "From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. In Christ. We should have a new set of eyes to look at others. I'm not just looking at other people like, oh, I'm attracted to them. I'm physically attracted to them. I want to date them for no other reason than I like the way that they look. Or I don't want to date that person because I don't like the way that they look. how, How shallow does it sound when we say that? But in reality, that's the way we often start dating relationships. Oh, I just like the way that they look, so I'd like to date them. Is that the best approach? No, that's the right answer. No, it's not the best approach. We want to see people with God-like eyes. We've grown accustomed to attaching somebody's potential value to us. Imagine how selfish that sounds, right? We've become accustomed to attach somebody's potential value to us, especially as somebody we might want to date or marry. We've, We've lowered it to just their appearance, at least initially, and this should not be so. If anyone, believers should be able to see with different eyes. To see that beauty and value isn't just in the appearance. It's far more than that. We know this from our experience. We really do. You know some people who are just like naturally beautiful people, but they have an awful attitude. They're always, you know, that person that's like, oh, I just don't want to be around that person. Yes, they may be attractive to me physically, but I do not want to be around them because of just who they are. And you know that experience. Or you know somebody else that's like, man, they just have the best personality in there. They're like always, the demeanor and their attitude is like so great. I just love being around them. And you know what that experience is like. So like know that beauty is not just in what you see, but often we, we relegate it to that, especially as starting relationships. Or we're worried like, oh, maybe I could, I could get somebody even more attractive. Or we start dating somebody for maybe good reasons, and then, oh, there's somebody else attractive that's appealing on the side. It's like, oh, what, what if? What if I could go be with them? And this shouldn't be the way that it is. Dating somebody only for their looks, I'm telling you, is a depreciating investment. You will not look always like you look right now. That person that you want to date or the person you are dating that you want to marry is not always going to look the way that they look right now. They're going to get old. They're going to have wrinkles. Things are going to change. Okay? The, the physical spark that you guys might feel like you have. That's not always going to be the same. When you get into marriage, like, if you're saying, I want to marry somebody that I just think is really attractive, I'm telling you, it's going to, that's going to fall apart on you. And then what do you have? I'm not saying that physical attraction isn't part of it or something that you should consider. If you find someone repulsive, you know, that's probably, that's probably on you, to be honest. That's probably a hard issue for you. God don't make repulsive people. God sees every person and sees their beauty. God made every person the way that he made them, on purpose, with great intentionality. So if you look on somebody else and you say, I, there's no way I could ever date them, that's probably on you. That's probably a hard issue in yourself. You're not looking with God eyes yet. Okay, so understand this. It, it's, yes, a part of it. Physical is part of it, but it's, it's the tiniest little part. There's so many other things you need to be looking for in a spouse and in somebody you want to date. Particularly, do they share the same first love as me? Part of loving our neighbors in general and loving that one person specifically is going to be being able to see more than what meets the eyes. Now, to get practical from what we talked about tonight, if you're single, grow into who you already are spiritually. You are made in the image of Christ. You're being renewed in the image of Christ. Grow into that. Follow Christ. Be Christ's light. Be the person that somebody else is going to want to date. Not for the sake of getting somebody to date you, but for the sake of growing in Christ, so that ultimately you find somebody else who's also doing that, and you can walk in that road together. And if you're single, don't date just to date. Date with a purpose, with marriage in mind. You're old enough to know Am I mature? Can I handle being in a dating relationship and actually be looking toward marriage in it? And don't be too selective with the wrong criteria. Now, if you're dating, Seek the other person's interests over your own when it comes to that relationship. Point them to Christ. Communicate well. Honor them. Do whatever it takes to honor them in a a way of honoring Christ. I want to honor them because I want to honor Christ, because he is my first love. And please, if you're dating, do not act married yet. You have no claim over that person, and they have no claim over you. Until you say, I do, and you commit and make a covenant relationship before the Lord and before witnesses, you do not own one another. Okay, so if you're in a relationship that is not good, and the other person is not following Christ, and refuses to, then don't be in that relationship. You don't have to stay there. Do not dishonor one another and the Lord by doing physically what should only be done in marriage. Don't act married yet. You don't have the responsibilities of marriage, so don't act like you have the privileges of marriage. And really use this opportunity that you have at this stage in the relationship to evaluate the other person. Consider in your mind what makes a good husband, what makes a good wife, and whether or not this person can fit those qualities. Whether or not you can see them growing into those things. Consider how this person that you're dating loves the Lord. Do they love him? Are they growing? Can you see the fruit of the Spirit in them? Do they love the Lord? Do they love other people? Consider well how they serve other people. How selfish are they? Because they're selfish with other people, eventually they're going to be selfish with you. Or maybe they're already being selfish with you and you're blind to it. So consider these things. Let the process of evaluation go on as a process of evaluation. I'm not so hung up on it like it's it's the, la- the worst thing in the world for that relationship to end. You know, let that process of re- evaluation come back to you too. Be humble. Take feedback. Let other people speak into your process and how you're doing in that process and how you're handling yourself in that process. Be humble. Learn about yourself. Be sanctified. And look to Christ ultimately first. And if you're engaged, a lot of the same things we said about dating could apply to you. But also use this time to understand your expectations for marriage. Use this time to understand why am I getting into this marriage? Why, you know, why do I want to be married? What is the goal of marriage? Be thinking about these things, considering these things and your motivations behind the expectations that you already have. Spend this time considering these things. Make sure that, you're, uh, that what you're hoping for out of this coming Covenant relationship doesn't contradict what it looks like to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's a good chance that any track record of relationships that you have up to this point has not been perfect. So of you're like, I've never been in a relationship. Great. That's awesome. But if you haven't been in a relationship, I guarantee you it wasn't perfect. That's why you're not still in it. Or maybe you're in a relationship, but you do have some things in a track record back in the day that you regret. Almost for all of us, if you've been in a relationship at all, you look back and see things that you regret. There are moments and there are attitudes that that you wish you could take back, actions, words, things that you said. Things that you wish you could change. There may be whole relationships that you wish you had avoided. Okay, And, and you may be in a relationship right now where you don't feel like you've done very well. You're like, I'm bound to determine to continue in this relationship. I think we can work these things out. But I know I haven't handled myself well. I want you to know you're not alone. I have been there. Okay? And here's the thing. God is not done with you. Just because things haven't gone just right up to this point, doesn't mean he's not, this doesn't mean that he's done with you. Because God is gracious. He sees you as precious in his eyes. He's going to finish what he started. He's going to guide. He's going to be good. He's going to bring out your goodness. He's, he's moving you to become more and more like Christ. He's not going to just abandon you because there are things in your past that you regret or wish you could take back. So understand that. that He is, he is good and he's gracious. Remember the gospel because that will help you to forgive not only yourself but others. It will help you to pursue him knowing how he's loved you and also to trust him, to trust him that Whatever plan he has for you, whatever person that you might end up dating or marrying or or whatever your future looks like, trust him with it because he is good and he is gracious and he is guiding you.